everybody, and welcome to another episode of Coffin Talk, Interviews with the Living. This is a weekly podcast that explores how our views on death affect the way we live our life. And this week we have a guest from England, and his name is Colin Finch. He's a humanist, which means he's non-religious, and he's a funeral celebrant. Um, he's been doing this work for the last four years, and he carries out about two to three services a month. Um, and I'm just dying to ask him a lot of questions about that because we don't meet a lot of people who work in the industry. And uh, as our listeners know, I used to do hospice work, so I'm incredibly interested in meeting fellow people who care about the subject. So with no further delays, Colin, how are you doing today? Good evening. Good afternoon. I'm fine. How are you? Uh, very good. Yeah. So what time is it there right now locally? Uh, we are 9.15 p.m. Okay. Well, thank you for making time for us so late. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. And we always ask our guests three standard questions, which is how old are you? Where did you grow up? And what generation, if any, do you consider yourself a member of? Wow. Uh so the the first question, I'm 60, 62 years old, if I had a birthday last week, so that's difficult because you, <laughs> you keep thinking you're the year before, don't you? Totally. Uh, well, I grew up obviously, well, so obviously it's probably not too obvious for people on that side of the pond, but I grew up in England, mm-hmm. uh, mainly around Cambridge, and I now I now live about 10 miles just north of Oxford. Awesome. I used to spend a lot of time in London and Oxford, but I've been to Cambridge and it's great. Yeah, Oxford and Cambridge. Very. I mean, if you go to Oxford, you've also you've basically been to Cambridge. They are. They look the, the same. <laughs> the people are the same. It's all the same. You said it and I didn't because I didn't want to be that American. So <laughs> yeah, cool. Uh, well, I love your sense of humor and I love your attitude. I think the first question I just want to ask you is what got you into becoming a humanist funeral celebrant four years ago? Okay, that's uh, that's a question I've been asked quite a few times because it's a strange it's a strange area of work obviously mm-hmm. i've never been religious never not even from school uh so i was always really interested in the fact that faith seemed to have massive representation but people with no faith seemed to be cast aside as if it was uh you know we were called heathens and everything else and uh, there was nowhere to belong and then the the humanist society in the uk uh, came along and i joined them about five or six years ago but uh that how i really got into this work is is quite sad really because my dad died about 12 years ago and i wrote the wrote a eulogy for him uh and i'd seen a lot of people go up and do it and i was extremely nervous and i remember i wrote a piece uh and i had i'd never seen this done before i i had some introduction music which i'm sure your listeners will know it's the looney tunes music (laughs) You know, the one that goes, da 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 yeah. that one. Because my dad, my dad and I and my brother always used to watch cartoons together. Cool. So I thought, well, let's do something. Let's mix it up a bit. So I did this, walked on, did the eulogy. People were laughing. At the end, everyone clapped, which was quite rare for a funeral in the UK. <laughs> and, it sort of, and, I, and I sort of thought, well, if I can do it for my dad, I could probably do it for other people. And it really sort of kicked off from there. And, it, to, you know, to be honest, I, I absolutely love the work. I mean, it's it's a strange area to be involved in, but you really, I'm sure it's going to be one of your questions, but there's, there's very few areas in life where you really think you can make a difference to someone's day, and, and I feel this is one of them. And that's an incredible answer, and that's part of what I was alluding to about my work in hospice is that, yeah, much like you, like people ask me all the time, like, why? And I mean, I have my, you know, factory answer, but... Yeah. The real reason I kept doing it is the same as yours, and it's the emotional connection with people. Also, I just would like to let you know that you definitely made a great pitch, and I would love to have you do my funeral. Well, I've got, I've got, to, I've got to live longer than you. That's <laughs> yeah. the only problem there, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I'm 42, <laughs> and you never know, so we'll see There you happens. go. <laughs> but no, it is, um, it's odd that uh, people think 
you can't laugh at a funeral, that there's nothing funny and humorous in death. I mean, I know we lose people and we love them, and the idea of loss and grief is not typically going to be funny, but um, do you find that more people have a sense of humor about it than most people would think now that you're doing the work? Oh, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that is a good question. Now I'll tell you how, what I really think about this. A lot of, I'm doing one at the moment next week mm-hmm. and, uh, I'm writing, writing the service as we speak. In fact, I was writing about half an hour ago and they kept saying to me, the family, uh, Oh, make sure it's funny. Make sure it's funny. And, but sometimes there's got to be a balance here, mm-hmm. uh, because you, you can get carried away with the fact that you're up, up at the lectern, as we would call it, and you have a, a very passive audience, they're not going to heckle you. And the floor is yours for half an hour, 45 minutes. And to be honest, no one wants to be there. So anything that is remotely funny is a relief for everybody because it takes the pressure away, takes some of the grief away. But there are parts of the service that are unavoidable, which are incredibly sad. Obviously, you know, the, the committal and the, the parts more towards the ends of the service. So you have to to realize that you can't it, this isn't a stand-up comedy show but there has so it's the balance i find is the hardest thing not because i can throw in the comedy all day i could write a lot of people there's so many funny things in people's lives you think this is just a laugh a minute but you can't have that because there comes a moment when the curtains are going to close and the music starts and the, the coffin's on the catafalque and everyone has to fire past it so it's, it's, I just think, Martin's question, it's a, it's a balance. Mm-hmm. It's a total balance. I think some people, uh, my experience, I've seen people go too far with it uh, and get carried away because they've had a good response and go too far. And then times I've seen people, it's been very dour and you really don't want to be there. I mean, no one wants to be there anyway, but you know what I mean? When it's, it's a service that doesn't bring any joy or memories to people, and I think that's the key to it. Is, is giving people new memories so people carry on talking about the deceased. That's my version of life after death, really, to be honest. That's great. That's actually so intelligent and uh, insightful because I think that's really something people don't realize. And, you know, I've, I've had a lot of conversations with people about the purpose of funerals and how they really aren't about the person who died. It's about the people who remain, obviously, but sometimes that isn't the case. Yeah, 100%. And I think in America, we have a harder time talking about death than in Britain. And I'm basing that on, um, I worked for a parent company out of Britain for 10 years of my life. So I would fly there all the time and I would hang out mostly with Brits. And I get into a lot of arguments and fun conversations with America about cross-cultural differences between us, just specifically British folks and American. But one of the things I always try to hammer home is like, you guys love The Office, but Ricky Gervais created The Office. Like you got to see how much humor is a part of their culture. Yep, yep. It's just not so damn obvious you guys are a lot more subtle um i'm just curious do you do you agree with that do you have any like uh opinions on that because you're actually british i'm i'm a jackass saying that i'm an american well no i mean there's a i mean i've, I've been out to the states a lot and i always used to find that humor is humor i think at the end of the day the joke is always on someone <laughs> you know every 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 joke has a focal point and to, to a large extent every joke is in some way cruel as well because there's a there's a point of the joke it's a person or it's an idiom or something like that but i think the difference between america uh, and the uk is is the irony is that i think we're much happier laughing at ourselves and that's probably why the dif- there's a difference to death is we probably joke about death a lot more than than anyone else because mm. there's an irony in that uh, and i think that with the ricky gervais i don't know if you, you were aware of the series called afterlife oh yeah i loved it <laughs> yeah 
which is a basically a widower, isn't it? I mean, it's it's not meant to be a comedy. No, no. <laughs> actually, and there aren't actually the, the only funny things in it are actually the outtakes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know that the irony is that we're able to uh, we're quite introspective. We can laugh at ourselves, I think, better than most. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's comes from a confidence in your. I think because the British are, are viewed as a very comedic society mm-hmm. by everybody. And so I don't think we need to prove ourselves. So that a lot of our comedy is kind of downplayed. Mm. Then it's not outwardly for laughs. It's more the it's a comedy about the situation or the, you know, the the the, the David Brent character, <laughs> the, the same one you had with uh, in, in the States. Is, he's the biggest idiot in the room. Yeah, yeah. And I think most comedic characters are, are almost, they're, they're complete sociopaths really, aren't they? <laughs> Yeah. If they got if they got it, it wouldn't be funny, would it? <laughs> it's the denial. It's the denial of their pitiful existence that we find so funny. Yeah. And it's funny because you talked about proving yourself. And I used to teach ESL and I would say America is in its early years as a country. So we're kind of like teenagers, which is exactly what a teenager yeah. is always doing, proving yeah. themselves. So, yeah, that, that does gel with me a lot. Um, and I think now is a good time to ask you the standard question on the podcast because you did mention the meaning of life. Mm. And, you know, we kind of put a slight twist on that, which is, what is the meaning of death? And the way we reach it is, uh, what do you think is going to happen to you specifically, Colin, when you die? Well, I, th- I think I'm going to quote Ricky on this one because I think being dead is exactly the same as, as not being born for me. Mm. Is that I remember nothing of the world in 1920 because I wasn't born and I'll know nothing of the world when I die because I won't be around. That's not to say my DNA might not be around and the atoms that make me won't be around because they will be around, but they just won't be forming me. They'll be forming something else. Could yeah. be a daffodil. Could be, you know, could, could be a spoon. Could be anything. So I think I don't think there's you know death. Death is the end, as far as I'm concerned. And if if you go going to start talking about death not being the end, I think where do you draw the line? What what animals don't have life after death? I mean, do you get down to amoeba? I mean, you, you've got trillions and trillions and trillions of of life forms ever existed on the earth. You know, you can't have them all living on after death. Yeah. So the simple answer is that death ends everything for me. And, and yeah, and I respect that answer a lot. And I think uh, it's funny because yeah, like I can see why people would think the word humanist is misleading, but I actually find that to be the definition of a humanist, which is like we're all equal and we're all just here. And then yeah, when you depart. Make the most of it while you're here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, that certainly doesn't offend me. And it actually is, I think, a great term for it. Uh, it might help you. It might help you. I actually I have a piece and I usually, which might surprise you, I don't dismiss the afterlife in my services. Mm-hmm. I, I always say that, you know, I say that these services are inclusive and they're for, for every, everyone, whether they have faith or not. And I'd say that I don't believe there's an afterlife. But I don't know. I can't prove there isn't an afterlife any more than anyone can prove there is. So I, I just say, what, a, what a, a beautiful notion that our loved ones die and then they meet their loved ones in some other place. I think that's a, a beautiful notion. I don't think it's true, but if it was true, I'd love it. Yeah. I mean, I just don't think it can happen. Well, and I think that's a smart hedge too, just in case there is some pearly great yeah. scenario that you and I both yeah. don't really believe in. I don't want to be on record saying, you know. No. Do you believe? Do you believe in it? No, I don't. And uh, I didn't before the podcast, and I don't after doing it. A uh, few things have shifted in my perspective, which is I think of karma and reincarnation very differently than I ever did, and I'll never right be able to not see it that way so that's kind of cool and then the other thing is i'm more content in things not resolving than resolving which is kind of what you were getting to with like what is 1920 who cares like why do i care about world war one 
except in that people use it to make a conversational topic now about what we should do in air quotes World War Three. Yeah. But I am actually interested on that line. And I didn't ask you if you have children. So if that plays into this, please let us know. But do you care about like the human race, so to speak, after you die? Like, would you like to do things to help it? Um, or are you just like, well, whatever, when I die, it's just whatever. Hey, everyone, if you're a fan of the show, please head over to MikeyOp.com and click the subscribe button. It's the best way to support us. And it's free. That's M-I-K-E-Y-O-P-P.com. Thanks. Well, I'd, I'd, I'd like to think I do. And I think there's, uh, I think some of the, some people in certain circumstances would call it virtue signaling, wouldn't they? But, I, you know, <laughs> no, but yeah. uh, I, I, I drive an electric car. So I think, well, that's my bit. <laughs> and there's other things I do. But I, have, I have children, have a daughter, and I don't want the world to be screwed up in 50 years' time so that her children are going to struggle. So you think about some form of legacy. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I, you know, I don't feel any great love for humanity per se, other than the people that I love. Because I think to a certain extent, and we're doing a very good job of ruining things right now, aren't we? So, <laughs> oh, yeah. One way or another. Yeah. So, I mean, I think humanity is inherently good, but obviously there comes the dark side, doesn't there as well? Yeah. And it's interesting. And it's, uh, when you talk, I'm speaking from being an American, when you're an American and you talk to uh, someone in Britain and I would uh, figure it works in both directions, we have like so much in common, especially with like our footprint, our fingerprint on the world. And then also like, people's faith in us to run the show and keep it orderly and keep it going yeah which is also constantly being attacked and and i can see every side of that so it's not that i'm getting into geopolitical particulars but i am curious like do you ever feel like a conscience uh, as a person from a nation like does that ever play into your your feelings as a human uh no and i i actually i i I feel very i don't you know obviously there are some divisions in this country as you probably know but you know, we have, we have England, we have Wales, mm-hmm. uh, Scotland, Northern Ireland. I've, if someone said, "What are you?" I wouldn't say I'm English. I'd say I'm British, mm-hmm. and then I'd say I'm European, <laughs> and then I'm and then I might say I'm English after all that because I think <laughs> I think the biggest problem we have is nationalism, and that usually comes as a result of of suffering, you know, e- economic suffering or whatever brings upon. You want to find someone to blame, so I don't have a a great love of my country but i have a great love of the fact that we should be decent people and we should be good to each other and that that's that's probably everywhere i mean i think through throughout the world you know you hear these awful stories about russia but i I bet you russian people are as good as we are it's just that their government is awful and i think that probably pervades throughout throughout the world to be honest yeah no this is hilarious uh my wife is normally on all these calls because she's our producer but she's pregnant so we've given her a little bit of a maternity leave but she would be rolling her eyes not because what you're saying isn't true but because it sounds like you and i have been best friends for years because that's (laughs) pretty much exactly how i feel my favorite uh writer ever is kurt vonnegut jr and he is a humanist and he uh feels the same way and it is it's it's hard that's why i asked the question the way i did because nationalism does mm. get into play and people just want to like label us and it becomes very it becomes tribal doesn't it yeah. i mean your country is very tribal at the moment oh, God, uh, yeah, uh, uk less so but you can actually draw a line across the states and that you can almost predict what the view would be on this side of the state line and on the other side yeah but we we, we don't have that because it's more of an economic division it, it's gotten so bad here people divide like wedding tables the way that you just talked so. yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah 
Yeah. With, with regards to the work you've been doing for the last four years, do you ever like feel like you're able to resolve like family tensions? So this has nothing to do with politics, but it has to do with, you know, human to human tensions. Like, mm. are there ever situations where you're able to get like a brother and a sister who haven't talked in years to be okay? Like things like that? I've I've made that happen. Whether it lasted or not, I don't know. I mean, I've had situations where families, I mean, one particularly two or three years ago where they, they couldn't agree who was going to talk to me. The family was so split. Mm. And they eventually came up with a compromise. Uh, and they started speaking to each other, but I'm I'm pretty convinced that after the service they went when they're separate ways again. And and to a certain extent, sometimes it brings in more divisions, doesn't it? The grief it kind of grief kind of heightens awareness, mm-hmm. and you know puts people in a in a dark place. It's a bit like selling your house. It usually brings out the worst in you. And I think with grief, because you've got all the animosity and, and vitriol brought to head, because you've got to say this, you've got to, you know, you've got the ex-wife there, you've got his kids who are not talking, and it's just they're all being forced into this room they don't want to be in. And how, you know, it's the was it the fight or the flight? Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think I think that they may have been putting on an act, uh, but I'm pretty sure also that when it all ended, they went their separate ways again. So it's, it's, you can't, I don't really see myself resolving. I'm not there to resolve conflict. Yeah. We don't have enough time. You don't have enough time in this podcast either. But uh, I think there are other ways we can bring a sense of peace to people and perhaps help put things in perspective better. But you started this this conversation with a, with a great line. Because I always say, people say to me, what's this about? And I say, funeral services are totally about the living. The dead are gone. And we are just trying to give them a, a moment to grieve, to allow that grief to happen. Because it's very important, I think. Uh, we've got a lot of they, they, they low-cost funeral services in the UK, and I'm sure you have in the States, where it all looks very uh, homogenous and uh, they turn up with an urn and that's great. But there's no grieving point. And everyone's left looking at a vase. And it should be more than that. We should have a point where we can join together and share our grief, share some memories and, and try and make the best of what we, what time we've got left. Yeah, wow. That's very well said. And since you've been doing this and you've seen all that you've seen, has it changed your own plans for your own funeral and like what you want your daughter presumably to do and things oh, like that? Oh, yes. 100%. <laughs> I was I was firmly fixed on, on cremation. Mm-hmm. And now I'm 100%. I, I don't know if you call it that over there, like a woodland burial. Oh, wow. Yeah, we actually just interviewed someone about this, like composting we call it here. But yeah. Yeah. And I think that the idea of being put back into the earth because you're, you know, you, you're cremated. Your DNA is gone. You are wiped off the face of the earth like you never existed. It doesn't matter what technology you've got. You've, you've got someone's ashes. There's no way you can tell what those ashes once were. No way. But when you're buried, your DNA, DNA goes back into the soil. And I think there's something quite cathartic about it, even though you're dead. I think this nice thing, well, you know, I've, I've come from nothing, but rather than burning me, I'm just going to be put back from whence I came. Because we, we all came from the soil anyway, didn't we, in one way or another? Yeah. So that has changed my view, yes. That's cool. That's cool. That's really interesting to hear because I didn't expect that at all. I thought you were going to say you wanted to be involved and have people walk by <laughs> and see you. So that was cool. That was yeah, I, I want to be cryogenically frozen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> what else has changed then? What's like the biggest other change in your life that has come from this work? There's actually a downside to it. The downside is I've, I've, I've feel I've become a bit of a, of a sociopath myself. So I'm, I'm sometimes disturbed by the fact that I'm not affected directly by other people's grief to the point that I'm not able to continue the service or I'm getting upset. Uh, and yet I can watch some films and I'll be in a flood of tears. Yeah, it, when it when I'm confronted with reality, it doesn't seem to affect me. I, I don't know if it's because I'm trying to be professional 
or I put a, a big screen up. But I've probably done a lot of uh, mental preparation before it to make sure that you have to concentrate on the work you have to do because I'm running the service. So if I if I get upset or fall apart, the whole thing falls apart. Mm-hmm. But it has worried me that I don't get upset. I was surprised, you know, in certain circumstances, well, that was a tough one, but it doesn't – It's like, I don't know. I might get PTSD one day. I don't know. But, yeah, that's the downside is that I, I thought I'd be more emotionally involved than I am. That doesn't sound too bad. That's very interesting because actually the same thing started to happen with hospice with me and I didn't realize it until it was kind of too late. Yeah. But yeah, I just kind of like... Interesting. Especially like when a natural disaster happens and like I find out a lot of people die and I kind of fall into that Stalin quote of like, it's a statistic. People die. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, it's it's random, is it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. People say to me, oh, life is cruel. And I say, no, life is just random. There's no, there's no fate. There's no one up there controlling our lives. There's no privileged right to live to an old age. There is nothing. It's just purely random. And we have to accept that, I'm afraid. But of course, we're always, as humans, we're always trying to look for significance in things that actually have no significance other than, as you just correctly quoted, statistics, Mm -hmm. which is what it all is really at the end of the day, isn't it? Yeah. And what do you feel about like people like Ray Kurzweil who are like investing heavily and also promulgating, I can never say that word, um, constantly speaking and trying to get people interested in uh, not just cryogenic freezing, but actually more advanced things like downloading consciousness and like extending your life into a replicatory body and things like that. Yeah. Why? <laughs> it's like, what is it? <laughs> you just, it's, it's almost like if, if, if everybody knew they had another life coming, can you imagine the, the, how different our lives would be? If everyone knew that there was going to be something after this and they were be able to change things i I think we'd be a different kind of society it would almost be anarchic wouldn't it (laughs) yeah it's like you know you watch these groundhog day that's what it would be like yep groundhog day you're going to wake up the next day okay he's in this bill murray was in the same body Mm. but i think you're selling it's not how humanity should be humanity should you shouldn't be looking to live forever you should be grateful for the time you have got because I mean, I don't know if you talk about statistics. What's the odds of you actually being you are like billions to one? Aren't you look at all the eggs, all the sperms? You know, you should be so grateful that you came out into the life <laughs> because the the odds against it were astronomical. Yeah. And you reminded me of a stand-up comedian I heard the other night. Um, so this is not my joke, but he appropriately said, I, I'm so happy I just turned 45 and I finally don't constantly need to like masturbate and look at women and just, you know, I, I can like calm down and relax. And I think that's almost in a weird way, a metaphor for what we're talking about, which is you should have twilight years and there should be an expiration date and it makes you value a lot of things. And yeah, uh, especially when I see my parents with their grandchildren, like I see how beautiful that is to see those two ends together, you know? Yeah. You know, I mean, we are, we are sentient, but don't forget, you know, nearly just about every other life form on earth over the, over the millennia hasn't been sentient. So the, the, the something living on that doesn't even know it's alive would <laughs> seems a bit stupid really, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Colin, you're you're amazing and you're really funny and you're natural and I love the work you do. Uh, we're running up to the end of the interview, but I always like to give my guests a chance to have the floor. So what would you like to tell our audience? Well, I would say to them all, I don't know where they are, what they do, uh, but I'll make some sweeping generalizations. <laughs> I think the fact that the fact that they're listening to this probably means they're fairly decent people because we care about emotions and our, our fellow humans' emotions. And I, w- I would say to everyone, hey, try and be kind to each other. and Try and not to judge too quickly. I mean, I, in the past, have been very judgmental. I try and be less judgmental and see why people are like they are. You know, it's the old uh, adage about 
never judge someone till you've walked in their shoes. I mean, I'd like them to be decent shoes, by the way. I wouldn't want to be flip-flops or something like that. If I'm going to have to walk in someone else's shoes, I'd like to be quite comfortable. But I don't think we should judge them without doing that. Yeah, no, that's great advice. And I think in this world, we need it now more than ever. And uh, it was interesting to hear your perspectives on the UK compared to America and the fact that you've traveled here because it is... It's hard to be here on this continent right now, or in this country in particular, and mm. and we feel isolated. We are isolated, so we'll see how it goes. But um, Colin Finch, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, if you have something that you want people to uh, contact you about, I'll put any links in the notes that you tell us to. But otherwise, uh, just know everyone that there's a friendly, awesome humanist living out there. His name is Colin Finch, and uh, he's a funeral celebrant. And we probably need more celebrants in this world because life and death are not to be shunned or feared and they're supposed to be lived and enjoyed so uh, this has been another episode of Coffin Talk if you want to support the show please head over to MikeyOp.com that's M-I-K-E-Y-O-P-P.com and sign up for my free weekly letter that's designed to make you laugh and think and uh, thank you again for listening my name is Mike Oppenheim this has been another episode of Coffin Talk and we will see you soon